It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood for a little show we like to call Create or Die. I'm your host, Yippie Freakin' Do. It's it's me, your boy, Ike Allred. I hope you enjoyed that little jingle, little homage to the the original OG. Mr. Fred Rogers, good man, good man, and uh, I'm sorry that I'm a little, little loopy. I'm recording this intro at uh, nearly 2 a.m. on a early Friday morning. We recorded this episode of the podcast a few days ago over lunch, and uh, it's you know, things have happened, have transpired in in my life and the life of many others at the place I work, MX. We lost a colleague, uh, avoidable, completely avoidable, and it's uh, it's been a painful, painful time. And I, you know, I even question whether I should release another episode of the podcast, Um, but be it the right decision or or not, I've decided to continue to move forward, to live, to think on brighter things, uh, to lose myself in what it means to be alive, which is to create. And so, we're coming at you with another episode, episode 35 of Create or Die. So, in this episode, we've got a real treat for you. Today's guest is Adam Gunn, Senior Vice President of Brand at Pluralsight. Adam and I go way back, back to the beginning of my design career. Uh, A time when 24, Alias, and Lost were the shows that we all talked about around the water cooler. And yes, we actually did have a a water cooler at, uh, at this agency that we worked at together, Adam and I, a little place called Fourth Gear. And I learned a a lot from Adam, from the business of design and and how to be a creative business developer, to even learning how to defend my designs with a little something I call the vocabulary of design. And that was something that was foreign to me when I first met Adam and was working with him and and the other fourth gearians uh they talk circles around me when it came to design so but I, i was able to pick up a thing or two and i credit that to my boy adam now adam's been at pluralsight for eight plus years before that he was creative director at market star and like i said he cut his teeth at uh the same agency that I did. He just started a few years earlier than I. 
right out of school. Now, Adam, he's the real deal. So this is one of those uh, must see or listen to episodes because there's some good stuff. Invaluable insights, if you will, on, on how to really stand out as a creative. So whether you're working in an agency or in-house, listen up, my friends, because you're about to get fed, okay? Without further ado, my boy, Adam. Yeah, appreciate you being willing to come on the show, Adam, and um, talk about what it is you do. Uh, you know, I was thinking back, uh, we've known each other for a long time, worked together at, at my first uh, legit uh, design job, fourth gear, back in 2005 is when I came on. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, just remember fondly all, all that, uh, that you taught me, maybe not even realizing it about the business of design, the vocabulary of design, um, just what it what it looks like to really do it for real. Um, and you know, my college experience was more in illustration and animation, and not so much design. That was something that I've more learned on the job, but. Uh, where, where did you pick that up? Was that just on the job? Was that something that uh, you're taught in design school? <laughs> well, when I tell my backstory, I like I, I really harp on how unique of an experience fourth gear was. Like you joined yeah. about three years after, you know, I had started. But, um, you know, to go back in time a little bit, like there was a time where fourth gear had kind of two two entities that had fourth gear and then they started a smaller kind of agency that could have a lower kind of hourly rate called modern graphique and i came out of school and right from the very beginning like i found plural site or excuse me fourth gear kind of unique because they didn't have account executives like if you remember the Mm -hmm. partners did a lot of the selling um and they were a little bit more willing than a lot of agencies to give the creatives the ability to interface with the customers. But I got moved from the fourth gear side over to the modern graphique side about a year and a half in. And at modern graphique, like we were a scrappy little creative team with no one. Like I literally remember Brett saying, I'm going to give you a couple months. You're going to need to go find your own clients. And if it doesn't work out, like you're probably going to need to go find another job. So not only was I like, I didn't come out of design school to like be a salesperson, but it was, fight or flight at that point like brett was like go find your own clients or i'm gonna have to let you go and i'm kind of a scrappy person like i didn't want my first design job out of school to fail and so like i was like well if i'm gonna work for clients i might as well work in industries that i like and so you know i literally was like well i love to golf so i'm gonna call all the golf courses and see if they need creative help and um Luckily, I, I ended up like talking to Nancy Serafin from Wolf Creek Resort on one of those calls. And I just happened to call when she was mad at the agency that she had and she had a trade show and like perfect timing. Um, but I think you and I were really lucky in yeah. the way Fourth Gear was structured. Like when, when we kind of merged it all back together and you joined, like there was still no account executive. Like we represented our own work. We sold our own vision. 
And I think that we were really lucky. Like as I moved forward in my career, like that ability to like take the criticism from a client, expand their mind around, hey, you asked us to do this. I'd like to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. For me, it was all just, I want to have more creative fun. Like I never viewed yeah. as a salesperson, but I, I look back and really think that that fourth year experience was pretty transformational. I don't know about you. But. No, totally. And I, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear um, that, that background. I knew that, you know, modern graphique was a thing, but I didn't realize that you were given kind of that ultimatum <laughs> of like, it's up to you to make this thing work or else. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and that was, that was all I knew. So when I went on to my next gig in California to kind of start a design uh, studio, I was given the same type of um, ultimatum where it was like, Hey, as long as you can pay yourself, pay for yourself, you know, you're, you're happy to, we're happy to keep you. And uh, so it was the same type of thing, just cold calling. I reached out to the local talk radio place and what kind of discount can you give us on a little ad? And they ran that and we were getting real, real small stuff, but, uh, and then it grew. And then, like you said, the advantage of working at a place like fourth gear, I, I don't think I appreciated how unique it, it was. And, and yeah. in hindsight, after working with other creatives, I can see like we were asked to, Hey, create a, a website design in two hours. And then we're going to, you know, talk about it and who's ever, you know, whichever are the two best we're going to share with the client and whichever one they pick, that's the one we're going to go with. Um, and then I started working with other creatives that were like, I need, you know, a week to create a homepage yeah. design. Yeah. The the time constraints at fourth gear were real. And I think they like, you know, they forced us, you know, it was competitive. Like there was a lot of yeah. great talent there, but also, you know, they were really maniacal around, you know, hourly rates. And, yeah. you know, I was just reflecting like you and I got into lots of mischief, like, you know, <laughs> pricing stuff for the log cabin company and just right. like, Hey, we're going to, this interactive flash based uh you know log cabin i was making you like render all those cabins and like yeah. we've way forbid that work you know those are learnings that you know like you know like the refiner's fire there in terms oh. of you know and and again like i didn't have an ae to go and tell the client that we needed a change order and we needed more budget and yeah. you know we were stuck between you know, Brett wasn't super happy that the project was way over on hours. The client right. didn't want to pay anymore. And so we had to navigate. And then, you know, you're in-house now. Like when I moved, I moved in-house on my next move. Like yeah. those skills are in many ways more valuable than being a good creative. Like how yeah. can you have those hard conversations? Can you hold individuals accountable to hitting deadlines? How efficient can you, you know, move my yeah. my my story of landing at Pluralsight is kind of interesting. Like I joined, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Adam's the brand, but they had an awesome creative director at the time. I joined as an art director and they were like 90% through a rebrand. Mm -hmm. But when I joined, like I thought I was joining this awesome company. Everyone in the organization was pissed off at the creative team because <laughs> it taken a year and a like a year and a quarter and all yeah. they had was a logo. Like they yeah. really spent way too long and the business is like, we need to launch this new brand to make money. And the creatives are like, well, you know, the, the, the visual spacing of the type of the logo aren't quite right. And we need more cycles. And yeah. I came in like having worked at fourth gear and the market started, like I knew it's like, if they don't ship this thing, they're all going to get fired. Yeah. Um, and so like just coming in and understanding, it's like, Hey, 
like I used to use this line all the time of like, like one, I sat in an hour and a half meeting and they were trying to decide if it was circle, circle bullets, triangle bullets, or square bullets were going to be the brand standard for bullets. And we had the product team in the meeting and we had oh, the great team and yeah. it was way academic. And I'm like, guys, I don't think your CEO cares what shape your bullets are. Like, let's just move forward and get this out of the way. That actually, I think, really helped kind of catapult my eight years at Pluralsight is like, at the end of the day, you have to pick your battles as a creative. And I know we love the shape of bullets, but at the end of the day, I'm pretty confident very few CEOs necessarily care what shape your bullets are. They want you to make the money and utilize your creative abilities to you know, drive the brand forward and, and, and drive booking. Yeah, they, they may not care about uh, the shape of the bullets, but they care about how much time is being wasted in, wasted in meetings like that. Yeah. So, yeah, beautiful. I love it. And, uh, yeah, similar experience for me. This, like, like you mentioned, this is here at MX, my first time in-house. And basically what they were looking for is for someone who would treat the stakeholders within different departments, different parts of the org as clients and, and kind of create an in-house agency and and like we learned it at fourth gear and and in my experience in other agencies is if if you're not uh, easy to work with if you're not uh, you know an advocate for the the client and helping them and you're and you're just being uh, prima donna and, and saying i'm not going to touch this until every you know, I is dotted and T is crossed on this, on this copy. And then maybe if I feel like it, I'll, I'll start to work on it. Instead, it was like, Hey, give us some bullets, give us something to start. We'll, we'll get you a wireframe that then you can go flesh out further or, or whatever. And that, uh, that type of mentality is, is what they were looking for and has, uh, helped, you know, mitigate like the need for different departments to go to, individual designers or, or, or agencies to because they weren't getting what they needed from yeah. the in-house creative. Yeah, you and I have always had kind of similar mantras and you know I picked this one up in my time at MarketStar, but I think we've, we've both lived it since before that and it was told by me by one of my uh, mentors, Dave Forsberg, but he, he used to say to me all the time, he's like, Adam, just be easy to do business with. Yeah. And I kind of adopted that and it's d done a lot of good in my career. Like, I think there's a lot of, you know, you give a creative a title and a little bit of responsibility. And I think their jobs to like be a blocker at every stage and ask a ton of questions and slow things down. Cause in their mind that makes them feel valuable. Like I, right. I'm, I'm slowing the machine down and I'm asking the right questions, but nine times out of 10, you know, you, you can get a long way and advance your career a lot faster if you actually just lean in and, and be a partner and help people get their problems solved and do it efficiently and do it with a smile on your face. It's done exactly. wonders for my career. So that's, yeah. I don't know, I, I assume you've got a million people viewing this. And like if Adam can leave one word of his, the headline. Right. Yes. Yeah. There you go. That's that's how we're going to title this is uh, <laughs> be easy to work with or, or yeah. exactly whatever you said. Yeah. And and I learned that uh, kind of the hard way uh, after leaving fourth gear and then, um, you know, building this small 
design team, we've, we landed our first big client at a company called Genentech and, and my contact there, um, you know, anyways, long story, she was, she was great, but, she, uh, I would get an email from her. I remember the first couple of times and I'd be like, okay, I don't want her to think that we're too small time that we're going to answer right away. Like we're just sitting here waiting for her emails. And so I'm like, I'll respond at the end of the day when I decide to do my emails. And then like an hour or two later, she called me up and she's like, Hey, if this is going to work, you need to be like an extension of my team. You yeah, need yeah. to respond right away. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Sorry. that won't ever happen again. And, and I've been surprised to see after adopting that, how much it's helped my career, like you said, and, and yeah. how people are, just, Oh, Ike's great to work with. He's so responsive. And, and that's just a rarity in, in what we do. Yeah. I've got, this is maybe some advice. If you've got viewers on the agency side, like me being on the in-house side and kind of being in leadership, like if you can get yourself permissioned into your customer's Slack instance, oh, like you are golden. Like I have four vendors that I, I lean on so much that they are to your, to what you said, an extension of my team. And for them to be an extension of my team, like everything at Pluralsight runs through Slack. And so, you know, we've permissioned those three, you know, vendors into Slack and I love it. Like, I love that when I have this problem, like I can just, just like I would any member of my team. Yeah. And in terms of like retention and value and, you know, expanding the relationship, like if you can get yourself into your customer Slack instance, there's some that, you know, I had one vendor that I really wanted her in and she's like, oh, it's just too much hassle to work with your team. And, you yeah. know, it, like there are hoops, you know, security permissions off the, like you've got to lean into your customer's ecosystem to, to do that safely and above board. But if you do it, like it's really hard for them to extract you out of their ecosystem and you'd be surprised how much additional work you'll get just by being present for them. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I'd never distilled it into that simple of a solution. That's perfect. That's beautiful. Yeah, just because, yeah, we have a couple of people in that scenario here at MX and, and uh, like you said, it's because you're working in there all day, you don't have to jump to a different application and write this yeah. form email and said, it's like, Hey, you there? Okay, great. They respond yeah. right away. I yeah. need help. Our in-house problems are all around some, some executive threw me some problem I got to solve. How can I solve this without you know losing my work-life balance? And yeah. you know, I've got an, I've got a full service agency. I've got a scrappy production video production team. I've got a cop, you know, and they, you know, it's that top of mind. Like it's, Totally. You know, brand is everywhere and their brands and their av availability to me helps solidify work for them. Awesome. Super valuable advice. Thank you. Um, now, one thing that I've asked a few other uh, guests on the podcast and, and they haven't been able to give me a good answer. So we'll, you know, throw you into the, <laughs> into the fire here. See, I I'm just curious around measuring creative value. Or have you at um, Pluralsight, I know you guys have lots of metrics and, and tools on your your platform for, for that, for, for developers and different things. But do you have any insights on, on how to 
measure the creative output from your team or vendors and, and maybe how to report that to clients or stakeholders? I mean, I'm probably going to give you the same answer most have of like, it's sadly really, really hard. Like yeah. you're, you're viewed as non-direct influence to bookings. And so, you know, the financial wizards who love spreadsheets, they kind of have two buckets. There's like what's directly impacting revenue and what's indirectly. When you're in that indirect bucket, like you're over there because it, it is harder to make that direct correlation. And, but, but we know it like a, a beautiful white paper or an awesome guide, like it, it moves like that. Um, so, you know, some things that I feel like would be good like one, it's hard, but two, like if you're going to try to do it, like have a core set of KPIs that you feel are the most ownable thing that, that you can contribute and then just sell the heck out of them. Like for brand at Pluralsight, like we know one of our primary responsibilities is to get traffic to the website. And so we yeah. try to own that metric and, and right there with it is um, branded search volume. So if people are curious like i love i love the mx brand or i love the plural site brand and they're googling with that in there like you're winning like that doesn't come yeah. without you know it, it's harder to attribute exactly what but that that halo has value and so if you can see you know finance people executives love up and to the right so if you can own a short set of metrics and just do everything you can to keep them growing like you can start to put some financial value around that and then again back to like you'll part you'll start to see a theme with adam like i just get really close to my internal customers and whatever their kpis are like i want them to feel like they're my kpis so if it's yeah. the integrated campaigns team like my team's signing up for you know the same lead volume or the same pipeline number that that they're committing to if it's events you know whatever the events um, goals are like I want my team to feel like those so that you're you know at the end of the day if someone's making a hard decision I don't want them to be saying it's it's my team or their team like I want them to kind of be seeing it, it as a, a unified effort and if yeah. decisions have to be made hopefully they're made unilaterally and not you know slicing off you know value so totally. you know those are a couple things that I've done to try to survive we we did about three and a half years where we were maniac it probably was from my agency days like we were maniacally tracking hours yeah and i'll tell you it helped me get headcount like yeah if you want to help make a case to expand your team and the resources you have um hour tracking helps my team hated it like culturally yeah. i think it was a burden like we all leave the agency world because we want to stop tracking hours and we don't do it anymore and the team's yeah. i think happier you know yeah. for it so i would say to answer your question i wouldn't go to hour tracking but if you're trying to like protect your resources and make a business case for additional resources hour tracking can be the way to do it short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, that's actually really good i i like that idea of uh aligning with other teams across the org and and ensuring that you're integral to their success so that if um you know decisions need to be made that that they're not going to throw you under the bus they're like well i can't do it without the creative team or whatever yeah. you know.
yeah, it's, you know, again, and it, you know, being in a brand role and every, you know, kind of bring this conversation full circle, like your decisions are made so frequently in business off perceptions and perceptions can be easily taken down the negative. Like you stop delivering on time and your customers, their perception of your team goes down exponentially. But if you're a partner they can rely on and then when hard conversations have to be made, like you want, you want there to be exponential pain associated with any of your resources being challenged. And that's yeah. culturally something as a team you have to build, like you have to help them understand like, Hey, our reputation as an internal agency or as a creative team, like it matters. And because of that, like these cultural imperatives around how we show up, how easy you are to do business with, like they will pay off. Um, yeah. We have to be committed to them as a team. No, love it. Yeah, thank you for bringing that all full circle and and uh, tying that up with a nice bow there. <laughs> um, so another thing I like to ask people that come on the, the program is, you know, if you had to pick one part of the creative process, the thing that that you just get the most excited about, uh, you know, what would that be for you? Um. I think my team would back this up. Like I love the the early ideation phase, like from problem to solve to what we at Plural State call the big idea. Yeah. Like um, any of our big integrated campaigns, our events, like we spend a lot of time early on, like getting really clear about what we call the big idea. Mm -hmm. um, and out of that big idea comes the mood boards, comes the visual concept, comes even the name of something. And so. I love that early ideation and that moment where you're like, okay, that, that big idea has the, the hairs on my arm tingling. And, you know, we, we use terms like, oh, that has legs, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna not only drive some static visual execution, but we could build a whole video series off of that big idea. So I love those early, like, that's probably where I get the most creative juice is helping the team get excited about and find those big yeah. ideas no agreed that's one of my favorite parts as well and and that's probably why you're in the position you are you know that takes a, a a leader um someone who can can see the big picture and then can trust the process trust their team to know that whatever we align on we're going to find a way to make it happen and and so that leads to another quick question like when you're you know, coming up with ideas, brainstorming, trying to land that big idea. Do you, do you find that you or your team or other stakeholders throw out like objections or, you know, that's not possible or, or do you just kind of let it go and, and are free from any objections during that process? Um, I mean, the longer I'm at plural site, like the more I probably like one of my challenges right now, having been here eight years is like a lot of the ideas get retread. And so we'll yeah. get new people coming in full of gusto and I'll have to like bite my tongue. I'm like, we ran that campaign three years ago. You just weren't here, or, you know, yeah. that, that flopped. And so, you know, yeah. we definitely try not to, you know, keep the, the aperture wide open on that early ideating, but at the end of the day, again, back to our earlier conversation, like progress comes from your ability to like make a call, be definitive, and then focus the team on ideating within some guardrails. And so it's a balance and an art form. Like you would, you don't want to be so selective that people 
aren't willing to contribute to the conversation, but you know, whatever your rubric or format for that brainstorm, like you have to have enough structure that people understand decisions are going to be made, whether it's democratic or autocratic, you know, and then we're going to move forward. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. And, and that's a good reminder. I, we, we had kind of a change of guard a couple years ago here at MX and, and I felt like I wanted to tell people like, yeah, we've, we've done that and that didn't work. That's why we're on this direction. But uh, <laughs> it's important to to let let the process do its work and go from there. Yeah. Um, another Adam, another favorite of mine, I had an executive once. He was leaving MarketStar and he, he asked me to come to his office. He's like, Adam, I always loved that you would listen even though you ignored me 90% of the time. And I, I think it was a backhanded compliment. Yeah. I, I've always remembered Lee saying that because I, I think there's value in listening, like making sure people feel heard. Like even if you know your the door's closed there, like you don't want people to feel like they can't come to you and, and at least be heard. Agreed. No, that's great. And, and I think as you get more busy and have more responsibilities and there's things weighing on your mind and maybe you have someone that reports to you uh, come in for a one-on-one and they're talking about their issues that uh, in your mind aren't near as important you know this is this kind of takes us away from creative a little bit but I'm curious as a as a leader a people leader how do you show that you're you're listening even if maybe you've got all this other things weighing on your mind. You know, again, everyone plays their strengths. Everyone's strengths are different. Like I've, I've developed this pretty strong sense for the business. And what I like to do is make sure that a lot of times individuals come into one-on-ones and maybe they're not understanding, you know, the, the current state of the chessboard, so to speak. And so you know, I spend a lot of time in one-on-ones like, Again, listening one and two, providing context. Like I'm, I'm careful. I've gotten feedback before that I, I share too many personal stories. So I kind of leave that, you know, four or five, uh, you know, an anecdote doesn't always placate someone's frustration or fear or, you know, relate. Um, but I think the second thing I really try to do is give them the business context for why something might be happening the way it's happening. And and help them understand what within that structure they can control. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, like, I don't know if you get it, like a lot of one-on-ones are like, I'm frustrated with this person, I'm frustrated with that person. And your first question is, well, have you talked to them? Have you shared your feelings? And they're like, no, I just wanted to vent to you. And so, you know, a lot of times part of that multi-dimensional chess game is, you know, helping them understand, like you're not completely, there, there are things you can control and, challenging them to go and do those things yeah no love it so uh, curious curious excuse me i'm all over the place i'm gonna have to cut this part out but i'm a little curious on going down that one-on-one road a little bit uh how often do you think is the right balance for one-on-ones with your direct reports i think that's a weekly a monthly as needed 
Um, I, I think it varies. Like that's probably my answer. I had a boss, Brett Barlow, uh, former CMO of Pluralsight, uh, chief brand officer here. He was maniacally committed to he and I connecting once a m- once a week. Yeah. And the time he took and carving that out, knowing how busy he was, like that was incredibly valuable for me as a report to him. And he and I became really good friends through it. Like sometimes it was just running to Jimmy John's and grabbing a sandwich, but I knew Brett was carving out time for me to balance frustrations, ideas, challenges against him. And so I've always tried to emulate that depending on how many reports you have, it may not be sustainable. And so like we've been through a couple restructures in my time in this seat and early on, like it's every week I have dedicated time with everyone as that team matures, you know, I think you can go, but I would never say to be any less present for your directs than every other week. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's good. And that's, uh, you know, honestly, candidly, that's something I struggle with. I like to do the work, you know, and, and I maybe have a bad habit of taking on too much. Um, and, and so that time is valuable to get stuff done. And, and you know, I, I think I lean on the direct report sometimes like, hey, the door's always open. I don't even have an office. So um, yep. if, if we're in person, it's easy for people to be like, hey, I, can we sidebar about this thing or that? But uh, as far as structured one-on-ones, um, you know, I'm definitely more the once a month category, but I see so many others doing it once a week. So I was curious where you were at on that. An interesting kind of accidental experiment I did once was like, you know, there was a time and some people still do it. Like their, their response is like, Hey, I'm going to have open office hours. Like just show up. I'm available. I tried that for like a couple weeks and like no one was showing up. And then like I got, I was getting frustrated. So the next week I like took it and I like divided it up and I like scheduled 10 minutes with like six people. And the value of those scheduled 10 minutes, like even though it was 10 minutes, like just the fact that I signaled, hey, I'm going to check on you. Um, Like I think because there's so much focus on -on one-on-ones, I mean, there's whole books written on how to do them effectively. I think some people overthink them. Like I'm not a big fan of like, oh, I got to have an agenda and you've got to send me a pre-read. Like if that's that's your structure, like I question, that's more like a meeting. Like, yeah. um, like, I think your one-on-ones, like, they don't have to be long, but just the, the fact that you're taking some time is the most important thing. And I got so much more value out of 10 minutes of just, how are you? How's your life? How can I show up better for you than I did out of open office hours? But, you know, that kind of recommitted me to that regular cadence. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm going to take that action item for sure, because uh, I like that. And... The thing about Ike too, Ike needs to delegate more. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Guilty. Okay. Thanks. That's that's what I get for bringing bringing people on the show that uh, that know me. (laughs) My boss, I I had to do the same thing. Uh, Lindsay, she probably won't watch this, but, you know, she literally had to tell me, Adam, these are five or six things. Like, as an SVP, you can't do them anymore. Like, I literally got told. I cannot do these things anymore. And it's still painful to these days. Like I see projects of like, I really want to do those PowerPoint slides, but 
yeah. I'm not allowed. Like, and yeah. and it's been super helpful for me because, like, again, I would if I could. Like, that's just yeah. my nature and my instinct. But you have yeah. to trust your bench, trust your team, and coach and and lead, and then pray. <laughs> and get through it. No, I love it, and that's a it's a great way to train people up. I know, you know, objections I've heard from people. Uh, that report to me and, and they're delegating to their team or whatever is like, well, it's going to take two times, three times as long if I delegate it to that person. But over time, those people will, will get up to speed and, and you'll find you'll, you have a lot more time. So it's a good reminder. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, and, and I've started to love those magical moments. Like oftentimes I'll do the project in my head and I kind of know and then you'll delegate it and you'll find it gets done better. Like yeah. I actually love those moments. Like there's a bit of like, you know, like I, I would have done it pretty well, but when you see your team actually take it in a direction, it's like, if I would have done that, we never would have gotten there. And then it's just like, okay, I gotta, I gotta let go more. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Well, Adam, the time has, has come and gone so quickly. I can't believe we're already over 30 minutes and I know your time is valuable. I appreciate you taking some time to be on the program like I'm like I mentioned and we'll have to uh, have to get together off camera and, and do lunch or something soon yeah we should uh, we should catch up it was fun to walk down memory lane your careers have come a long way so yeah it's cool to see your success and thanks for having me likewise thank you Adam there you go my friends another episode a good one I think I think uh, it's worth another listen or another watch. There's there's a lot to pick up on there. And if you're like me, you're walking away with it with uh, maybe an action item or two. Things that uh, you can work on, I can work on for sure. But after what's been a hard couple of days for me and, and maybe someone else out there, let me just tell you, you are enough okay just just know that and that uh, we're all in this together I'm pulling for you and use what the good Lord gave you and create till next time my friends create or die